0: A portion of your purchase will come back to us and help support our shows. So go to FanRollDice.com with the discount code NIGHTLIGHT to get 10% off of any additions to your dice hoard. Hi, I am Tanya Ransom, the creator and executive producer of Nightlight, a horror podcast featuring creepy tales written by Black writers from all over the world. And today I am here with Michelle Mellon, the author of Aunt Sadie's Surprise. Michelle, how are you today? I am doing well. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, actually. It's getting close to spring here, which is really, (laughs) really great. Really excited about that. Um, And I'm also really excited to talk to you about your story, you know, I love the idea of, I mean, I think, I think most Black people, and I mean, I think there's other nationalities as well, but mm-hmm. I'm familiar with Black folks, you know, understand this idea of having a matriarch in the family, you know, that everybody looks up to who, you know, she is the linchpin. And, you know, I know at least for my family, when my grandmother passed, our family, I don't want to say it fell apart. You know, we weren't mm-hmm. arguing or anything like that. We just didn't hang out together. Yeah, as much. And so I really like how you kind of took something that I think every black family has experienced at some point and made it just a little more sinister. (laughs) But this idea of being the matriarch um, of of the family comes with a hefty price. Right. So my first question to you is, you know, how did you come up with this idea um,
1: so a lot of it, I think, is tied into what you were talking about is having this, you know, this vision of the matriarch of a, of a Black family as being kind of this guiding light or this central sort of moral compass. And I wanted to explore what it means when that becomes a little bit fuzzy. So I originally started writing this story for an, an, uh, an anthology. And one of the prompts that they had was, um, you know, give us uh, some unknown myth, or take a myth and ground it in um, a black experience. Uh, and I love world mythologies; huge fan of those. And so I wanted to look at something that was a little lesser known. So I started exploring this uh, these Greek mythologies that were kind of minor, and found this character Lamia, and thought, okay, so what if you take this? Um, this sort of minor goddess, and you put her in this sort of unexpected setting in, uh, you know, the southern part of the U.S. And what can kind of arise from that when you combine these two ideas? So that's
0: kind of where it came from. Yeah, I, I mean, I just like I, I think that's what I fell in love with most about this is you know like turning turning the idea of something that has traditionally been something very comforting. Yeah, to you know, particularly African Americans. I don't want to speak, you know, for all Black people Maybe. across the world, but you know, especially in the South too. Um, you know, like it, something so good and turning it into something bad is like my jam. You know, which is I mean, <laughs> why why do horror? But yeah, um, I digress. But also, you know, like cooking is also a big deal in Black families, especially you know, grandmas yeah. cooking. You know, yeah. and grandmas always trying to feed you, and you know, this idea of her surprise. And I'm mm-hmm. making air quotes here, <laughs> having different ingredients each time, you know, and it's like, oh, but this is going to be good, but eh, you might get <laughs> like, <laughs> some baby parts in it at one point. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's, you know, it's a, so you also took something that was traditionally comforting to folks and made it sinister as well, you know, and they don't necessarily realize it. And, yeah. and the, 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 most of the family doesn't realize it until... Right. It's too late. You know, yeah. our, our heroine in this starts to piece things together, you know, pretty early on, but she doesn't necessarily know what's going to happen. Yeah, exactly. She just knows that something ain't right. <laughs> right. Um, I want to I wanna just like step back for a second here. Like I know that nobody can see our screens here, but Michelle has some amazing masks behind her. And I would love to hear about these masks like is there a story like where did you get them from do they have like special significance like I know one looks like a Mardi Gras right yes one
1: yes good eye good eye um yeah I think I mean for me the masks represent and then I have them on this um otherwise stark white wall um so really to to showcase them for me masks have always been this symbol of other and i think as you know african americans in particular we live our entire lives as other and so everywhere i go it's fascinating to me to explore this take on masks and this take on being in other and other cultures so there's one mask behind me that you can see um it's actually from hungary i was um visiting budapest and saw this map oh. that's, that's absolutely amazing um so Basically, wherever I travel, I try to collect a map that represents that particular culture because I think it oh, I is that. a fascinating insight into um, how they either view or portray themselves as other within their own culture.
0: Like I love that idea because when we went to New Orleans last November, we found after much searching a mm-hmm. legit conjure shop. So, you know, I grew up, you know, my family's from Alabama and Louisiana. Okay. So, you know, definitely that, you know, old time African Southern magic type stuff that I didn't even realize was called hoodoo until like I started looking into it. And I'm like, wait, this isn't just like old black people superstitious stuff like it has a name. Um, But yeah, so, you know, I've really tried to start reconnecting with that part of my family, especially, you know, now that my own grandmother is gone and my father is gone you know, I'm I'm losing that connection. And so I'm yeah. trying to, you know, bring back that connection. Anyway, long story short, we found this conjure shop because I was looking for like a legit conjure shop, not one of these touristy like, or here, buy this, up. you know, Marie Laveau voodoo doll right. kind of thing. <laughs> Cause I know that's not the real deal. And we found two, two masks um, that we have hanging up in our living room and we got them specifically for like protection. So they're kind mm-hmm. of hanging up high and they both look down. Um onto the space. So it feels very much like they have a protective quality to them. And we talk to them all the time, you know, yeah. like if things are not going right, like, hey, <laughs> help a <laughs> sister out here. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I, I love the idea of collecting masks from different cultures because they do mean different things to different cultures. You know, like yeah. one of the masks is it's, it's got more masculine energy and the other one has more feminine energy. And, you know, we both really, my boyfriend and I wanted to, have one with masculine energy and one with feminine energy, because we believe that both of those types of energy are, it's important to have a balance between them, you know, a nurturing and a more protective energy. And I've got to say like the energy in our space, like I could feel how much it improved Mm -hmm. once we hung them up. And I'm wondering like, you know, do you, is it more than just an interest in these cultures? Do you feel energy from these Different Absolutely. masks, especially yeah. the one with the skull with like yeah. the golden so that eyes. One is,
1: and that one is Venetian. Beautiful. That one I got when I was visiting Venice, Italy. Um, I saw the skull, and this was this is a, a genuine Venetian mask. It's not one of the, the touristy ones. Um, but saw that and resonated for me, um, you know, not only as a horror writer, but I I actually have a, a skull skull collection, you know, skulls made out of metal and stone and things like that. Um, and I think for me, it's just this kind of reaffirmation of life um, because we're all heading towards the same place mm-hmm. and <laughs> so, like, there's no way to stop it. So right. um, there is that energy that says you are here now. and. Um, you know, you have this opportunity to be in the moment. What are you going to do with that? And so there, I think that there is this different energy that I'm feeling from them as well. You mentioned the, the male and the female energy. I have a couple of um, African masks that you can't see, um, <clears throat> male and female again, um, kind of drawing. I think in, in that case, I got those when I was um, in Cote d'Ivoire in West Africa. Visiting a friend in the Peace Corps, and um, served not only as a reminder of this amazing cultural experience, where even though someone looking at, you know, me would say, "Okay, well, you know, sh- clearly she could be mistaken for African," I was other in that culture, and in fact, they referred to me with the same term that they used to refer to white people because I was not of that culture. Um, I think all of these things kind of roll together and provide this energy and inspiration and affirmation of what I you know, feel like I need to do every day.
0: Yeah, I love that. And it, let, let's talk a little bit about othering here, you know, because mm-hmm. I know growing up as a mixed kid in you know, the 80s and the mm-hmm. 90s when it wasn't as popular <laughs> as it is now, you know, I, me and my sister were the only mixed kids at our school for a really long time. And there was a lot of othering, Mm -hmm. um, you know, in that, you know, like white people, because this was, you know, Bible Belt East Texas, you know, there's a whole lot of racism. So, like, that was just a non starter for half the people I went to school with. But then I found it really interesting that a lot of the black girls in particular didn't necessarily want to accept us either, Mm -hmm. especially like once we started to hit puberty and, you know, these ideas of, you know, European beauty and mm-hmm. how, you know, mixed kids typically fit better into those European ideals of beauty, which by the way, I think are bullshit, but I digress. Yeah. But, you know, the point is, you know, when you're all adolescents, you know, like these boys are looking at me like, oh, well, she's black, quote mm-hmm. unquote. So my parents aren't going to get mad, but, you know, she has these like white girl qualities. So they kind of, you know, saw the best of both worlds, I think. Yeah. And you know, of course, the black girls that I went to school with did not like that they were in competition with me. You know, so I think some of it was was jealousy. But I think also, you know, it, it, it's, it wasn't this way in my family because my family is very, very mixed. Like we've got like everybody. <laughs> 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 like you come to our family reunion. It's like you can't really pin down exactly like what ethnicity most of us yeah. are. <laughs> um, because because we're just so diverse, and so yeah. it was really it was really weird for me, so I'm wondering, you know especially like being othered in that particular experience where you weren't technically an other mm-hmm. how did that how did that make you feel um it was I don't even have the words i mean i
1: I was definitely taken aback, so yeah. you know again, as an African American, you spend your entire life um being viewed and spoken about and portrayed as an other. And then, you know, I'm visiting the quote unquote motherland. And um, you know, in this village, these people were like, well, she's clearly not she's clearly not one of us. And so she is other. And I thought that is it was kind of a wake-of-call about how you define who you are. And where you belong, and the space that you occupy, and it's really more about, um, obviously, um, you know, not about the way you look, because in in that case we would all be lumped into the same pot, and that would be the reality. It's not the reality. Um, so it's really about your own mindset and how you see yourself, and how you move through the world. And that is, um, it's something that I actually started like my, my freshman year in college, I'd taken this course called the self and the other. And we explored all of these different themes about how people, um, you know, kind of protect themselves by making the people who aren't like them in whatever way, the other and so that they can feel safer, they can feel superior, whatever it is. Um, and so you know, that kind of just carried through. And I try to think about that, not only in what I'm writing, because different people obviously have different things that scare them. That's the, the beauty of horror. Um, but then also different ways of viewing the other. And that's the other element that I kind of want to weave into my stories is that there might be something that you take as perfectly normal, perfectly part of the course. And, um, you know, you kind of flip it on your head and say, oh, well, I hadn't really thought about looking at that as something that is other.
0: Yeah. Can you expand a little bit on that, on how you do that in your writing? Um, you know, a lot of it.
1: So, you know, talking a little bit about process, because I, I would describe my process as a, inconsistent and that's
0: <laughs> <laughs> so like, you know, it, whatever works in that moment works and you should right. not fight it and just go with it is, is right. but that's sorry, what I, I, don't I mean, always I mean.
1: try to tell people, I'm like, don't, you know, everyone's going to be coming at you with all this advice and these, okay. you know, sage words about what you should do, what you have to do. And I'm like, you only have, to do, you have you. to do what you have to do. It's different
0: like, for everybody. But, yes. Right. Um,
1: So, you know, some of the times I sometimes I will say I'm going to schedule time and I am going to take these ideas and get them down. And there have been a couple of years where my New Year's resolution was every month I'm going to write a new story and, you know, at least every two months I'm going to submit a story just so that I have something that is rolling for myself. And, you know, sometimes that works if I'm in the right frame of mind for that, that works. Usually it is something that just sort of hits me something that happens, something that I overhear, something that I read, um, and you have kind of that spark of inspiration. And then I sit and I tend to, um, I tend to overthink a lot. <laughs> so, um, so I will start to think about that. <laughs> I'll start to think about that incident or that, you know, thing that I heard. And I'm like, well, what if dot, 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 and then it sort of spirals down that path? Like, what if um, you know, this incident or this conversation involved me, either as a woman or as a you know person of color, um, as someone who is over the age of 50. Like what, you know, what would change in that particular scenario if I, I put that at the center of it? And then I start to think about the different, you know, influences and permutations that would happen. Um, how to make it a little bit unexpected because it's coming from this voice that people are not used to hearing, yeah. uh, and then go from there. I will say, like the first time I went to um, Stoker Con, Stoker Awards weekend, I was very early in my writing career. This is like 2005, I think, and I just started writing more in 2004. And it was in a hotel, and there were a couple of other conferences there. And I just bumped into this guy, like in the lobby or something, and he was asking if I was there for the same thing he was. I said, "Oh no, I'm here for the horror convention." And he looked at me, and he kind of looked me up and down, and he said, "You don't look like a oh, horror no, man." <laughs> <laughs> and I was just sort of like, "Well." What does a horror writer look like? Like, I don't exactly. Is it because I'm a woman? Is it because I'm black? Is it like I didn't didn't really? You're nice, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I
0: get that a lot. Oh, you're so nice. How could you be uh, a horror writer? I'm nice because I am a horror writer.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's like the sweetest people I know are horror writers. I'm not sure, like what his perception was and how I didn't fit into it but yeah, um, yeah those it definitely ignorant. seems to be like
0: a stereotype that yeah, is completely yeah, exactly. inaccurate you know if you were to go so to any take horror all conditions. of those
1: little things and and feed them into um you know what people expect and then turn it into something that they haven't experienced before maybe or they wouldn't expect
0: yeah So let's take a break for a minute. And let's talk a little bit about your writing process. I know that you said that, you know, kind of changes from time to time, but just, you know, really broad strokes, how would you say, you know, from beginning to end, you know, idea to Mm -hmm. submitting it um, for publication? What does that typically look like for you?
1: Uh, Typically, I get an idea, whether it's just something that pops into my head or is inspired by, again, something that I've you know, experienced, heard, read, whatever. Um, I get that idea and I write it down. Like I write it down in a physical notebook. I'm totally old school. I've got my leather bound, you know, writing journal. Um, (laughs) Write it down, uh, let it sit, and then um, come back to it either the next day or a couple of days and just start typing. Just start typing ideas related to that idea. Quotes paragraphs, sentences, um, characters, whatever happens to come into my head, um, get that sort of typed up. And then depending on how strongly I feel about the idea, I might just sit there for you know a couple of hours and bang something out. Or I might, again, just let it sit and then come back to it later. So this goes back to my, you know, me saying that my process is inconsistent because a lot of times it has to do with the idea itself. Like we, my husband and I bought this property last year. We're in Southwest, uh, um, Southwestern New Mexico, and we have an acre and a half of mostly scrub and sand. And as we've been like out in the yard trying to tame, you know, the wilderness that we keep finding these socks buried in the sand. And uh, uh, there's no explanation for it. I mean, there's no good explanation for
0: it. Yeah, so yeah. That was I wish everybody me. could see both of our faces at this point, like,
1: <laughs> what? <laughs> one of the one of the, the stories that I'm working on right now is about these socks and how these socks would come to be buried across an acre and a half, you know of of desert. You're
0: sending that to me, right? Because that sounds <laughs> like a nightlight story, not going. <laughs> I mean, and even if it's not a nightlight story, I want to read. it. <laughs> so, <laughs> I want it to get published somewhere. That that's yeah, yeah. But that's I mean, that's that's part of the process. Is
1: these things sort of come to me usually? Sometimes I'm inspired by like a, a call for an anthology or something. There's a theme that resonates with me, and and I can write to that theme. But usually, it's just something random like these socks in the yard, and I'm like, well, okay, that's really bizarre, and I'm going to have to figure out how that you know, how that turns into a story.
0: Yeah, I love that. I love that. And I love the idea, like, I mean, and I do this too, where you kind of like, I call it marinating Mm
1: -hmm. on a story.
0: You know, you have your idea, you've got like your little notebook or, you know, something that you're carrying around. You know, for me, it's my phone. I'll take notes on my phone if I'm like leaving the house, but I have my notebook for, you know, when I'm here and I'm just like, you know, jotting down little fragments of sentences and things that I think you would fit, you know, just high level scenes. There is so much I think that non-writers don't realize that has to happen before you actually put words on a page. Like you are thinking about this story for you know days, weeks, you know sometimes, months sometimes you actually for years, yeah, <laughs> yes, before you put anything down. Like we're always working when we're washing the dishes. We're thinking about a story. Like we are always working in one way. Or another. And, you know, I've found that for me, at least, that makes for a better story because, you know, I'm kind of thinking through all of these possibilities in my head rather than just trying to get something down on paper and then, you know, like revising it later. Like for me, it's a quicker process to a clean draft if I take a bunch of time ahead of time to consider all of the different aspects of the story and kind of turn it over in my head. And, you know, like you talked about earlier, these different perspectives Mm and how you can view things in a different way. So, uh, so I really, I really love that. So, so you start off thinking about things and then you type it, um how clean are those first drafts? Do you know how do you have to revise them a lot or are they pretty- Definitely. and i
1: yeah that's that was kind of my um my achilles heel when I first started writing so i my writing career like I started out in you know uh childhood and through college I was writing poetry, and so I didn't turn to short story writing until um you know much later like my late twenties early thirties um And so I was used to, you know, writing these poems and then they sort of lived on the page and you might do some tweaks here or there. And then, um, you know, they went out into the world with the with the art of, you know, short stories. It was very different. And I kept thinking, okay, well, it's this is something that's longer than a poem um obviously needs to tell this entire world within this space um so I was constantly editing I would write and I would edit I would write and like literally like line by line maybe I was lucky if I got like to your paragraph um and then finally after really I mean I'm embarrassed to say like a few years of that, um, going to different workshops and having experiences with other writers and getting that feedback, finally realized that I was not going to move forward if I kept doing that. So I had to find a way that worked for me that would like, really give me permission to just say, this doesn't have to be perfect. Like, you don't have to, it's not, you know, it's not a poem that's going to sit on a page and you're done with it. Like, this is going to have to take a little more time, a little more thought. You want to make sure that you're pulling in all the elements that you want, that they all make sense, that, um, you know, that this is something that resonates with people. So, um, like you said, it does, you know, it, it does, take time to marinate. I will think about a story when I'm going on a walk, like, you know, I clear my head and then I start to get ideas for the story. Uh-huh. And then I always have my phone with me and I will do like a voice recording. And then I will send that, you know, oh, the trans- nice. send the transcript of that to myself. Yes. Um, so It's a game
0: changer. I got, like, I got the Apple watch just so like, if I woke up in the middle of the night with I mean, I didn't get it just for this reason, but waking up in the middle of the night with an idea, I should have to like roll over and you know get my phone right. and it's all bright and you know yeah. like, try to record quietly so I don't wake my boyfriend up and <laughs> then I can just like turn on my watch and whisper into it these ideas yeah. that I have and it's yeah. been a game changer because like normally I would it would wake me up you know doing all of that like I I'm a light sleeper I don't sleep well and doing all of that like I'd be awake for the next hour but now yeah. it's like I can just whisper into my watch and. I've captured the note and then I can fall back asleep But it's like, honestly, the like I, I I should probably talk to an accountant and be like, can I write off part of this watch? Cause I use it so much. Cool that I use for my writing. <laughs> yes. yes. Okay. Yeah. So, so, you know, with your writing process, um, you know, like obviously I I think every writer is constantly iterating on their process and what works for us today may not work for us a year from now because we grow as writers and things and things change. But I'm curious, um, you know, where are you in your writing career now? Like are you a full-time writer? Are you still part-time writing? Are you writing novels now? Mm-hmm. Uh, I am still part-time. Uh
1: I will probably remain part-time, and that is Uh, I will honestly say that is due to my like type A personality as much as I would love the opportunity to just write my fiction, you know, without any worry for the rest of my life. I also know that uh, I am a natural worrier and I am a natural perfectionist and I would just feel this ridiculous pressure um, with, you know, the responsibility of, producing this work like full time. Um, So I like my day job is as a marketing writer. Right now I'm doing that freelance um, copy and content writing. And then I write uh, fiction in the mornings, in the afternoons, on the weekends, uh, when I have time, or I should say make time and when I'm also when I'm inspired. So it's definitely a, a part time endeavor. And I, I, I love that. I mean, I appreciate that I can kind of do my thing during the day. And then I shift gears totally like, you know, during the day I'm talking about or <clears throat> most recently, my my last full time role was talking about tech startups, and, you know, supporting them and what they needed to communicate, and then totally shift gears, and I'm writing my horror, and my science fiction and my fantasy. And so able to create my own world and my own identity separate from that. So that, um, that works for me. Um, and then in terms of what I'm working on right now, um, submitting stories, of course, um, writing that sock story, uh, <laughs> I had a story that was accepted for a folk horror anthology that I'm now trying to Ooh, rehouse. Yeah. It's gone through two publishers, and then both of them, like one publisher, went under, and the other one, for various reasons, just couldn't publish the anthology. So, um, trying to rehouse that one, and that is that was a project of love. Um, it is based on an actual community. Off the island of Maine, um, Malaga. And it was this um, interracial community. And so, this, um, you know, the, the black man and his white wife living on this island with all of their, you know, biracial children and grandchildren. And no one cared. No one cared for the longest time. And then, when tourism became a thing for Maine, everyone realized oh, wait, maybe these islands that we've been ignoring off the coast have some value and they would be something that would be useful as part of the tourism industry. And so um, they forced these people off this island. And some of them were, um, I say imprisoned because I'm being dramatic, but they were moved to a home for the mentally feeble because that is how biracial people were seeing. This was the the early 1900s. So I wrote this this folk horror story around that idea. And I'm looking for for a new home for it now. Um, And then also working on a collection, um, my third collection of short stories. So that's, you know, those are the things on my plate right now, um,
0: probably through this year. Awesome. I would love to see the story set in maine <laughs> or off the coast of maine it's i true, suppose yeah i would i would love to see that i think that you know that could potentially be a good fit for nightlight um really? and you know also the whole like dealing with mixed like i don't get a lot of stories that deal with the mixed person experience and yeah. some of the the things you know, especially over time that mixed people have been subjected to and i think that's something that i would love to shed a little bit of light yeah on so please send it to me and if it's not for nightlight i know a bunch of other editors and maybe i can help you get it placed (laughs) somewhere (laughs) so let's talk a little bit about black horror in general like Mm -hmm. obviously you are a black woman writing horror right right? um but you know i think you know black horror has been around long before jordan peele you know we had black exploitation films i mean even the B E B uh I can never say his name right because I'm terrible with like French. It's like, is it Dubois, Dubois? I don't remember if you say the S or not, but yeah, I really need to get that together. Like you would think like with my profession <laughs> yeah. that I would be able to say, it. but you know, he wrote the story, the comment and you know, I actually, mm-hmm. you know, produced that for Nightlight and I had no idea that he wrote it until I was like looking for something that I could post um, for Nightlight. Cause it was very early on and we weren't getting as many submissions and I was like, I gotta like find something. Yeah. You know, so like black horror has been around for a long time and it doesn't necessarily need to have anything to do with slavery or Jim Crow right. or, you know, any of that. Um, you know, but you hear a lot of people these days saying, you know, oh, Jordan Peele, you know, he's the. Godfather of uh, uh-huh. black horror, and it's like, girl, like I mean, he's great. Don't get me wrong. I love Jordan Peele. You know, yes. no shade. Don't anybody come at me. It's been a lot, yeah. Like I love Jordan Peele, but he he is not the first. He mm-hmm. opened doors, absolutely. Mm-hmm. He's significant, yes. But I'm really curious as to who you would recommend for someone who is looking to get into black horror. May not mm-hmm. be as experienced with it, um. What what would you suggest that they watch or read or listen to? Um,
1: so I always recommend, and, I, and I'm saying this selfishly because as a short story writer, I um, love short stories, obviously, and read primarily short stories. So whenever I am trying to advise someone, I um, recommend that they try anthologies first. Oh as yes, a to kind of ease into um, not only the horror genre, but Getting this exposure to a bunch of different writers, and then figuring out what style, what voice, what topics you know you like, and so that's that was how my you know black horror experience began. I'd obviously seen blacks in horror, you know, in terms mm-hmm. of movies. All um, right, many, dime for. So many <laughs> When I write, watch that movie where the black guy dies first and you're like, come on. Um, But I think for me, (laughs) like I said, my, my kind of, my foray into writing horror began like around 2003, 2004. And when Brandon Massey's anthology came out in 2004, um, the dark dreams, dark dreams. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was the first time I was like, wait a minute, there is an entire community of people who love what I love and are doing what I want to do and look the way that I do. And that was just something that I hadn't really um, encountered or experienced before. Um, So that was like the beginning. I read through that and started, you know, seeing these names and started seeking out those names in other anthologies. Like I, I just, that, that tends to be my way through horrors reading these anthologies. And so I'm like, Oh, there's a, there's another story by Nalo Hopkinson or um, Tananarive do got to read that doesn't matter what anthology it's in. I just know that I'm going to enjoy that. And so I've kind of moved through um, that anthology world that focuses on um black writers and that black experience so Cherie renee thomas has i think a couple of dark matter volumes at this point um and i actually had a story in um a gothic horror anthology last year that was for bipoc writers um when they when other people saw us they saw the dead is what it's called and it was a, a uk publisher um I know there was another anthology that came out last year called Other Terrors, and that's on my list to, to read as well. Um, but I think that's, you know, my primary recommendation is to sort of um, dip your toe in. And in that way, you have this uh, buffet really of different Black horror writers that you can explore and then kind of go on whatever path works for you if you want right. to follow this person and see you know what novels they have or short story collections they have because that their writing resonates with you then that this is the best way to do it i think
0: right. yeah 100 percent agree with that which you know incidentally is part of the reason why i chose the format for nightlight um the way that i did so yeah. it could be you know I fully understand that not everyone is going to love every single episode. And that's by design, because I want there to be, I want to showcase... The breadth and depth of what Black writers are capable of, and that it's yeah. not just you know slavery tales or Jim Crow right. tales. Like right. we can write just a regular ass ghost story or yeah. a story about why there are weird socks in their backyard. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and yeah, yeah, I I think that it's really really important um, for us as writers and you know our future careers, but also you know the the people that are coming up to show. Hollywood to show, you know, these publishers that we are done writing, you know, about being whipped and, you know, all of that Mm -hmm. crap. Like, let us write about the human experience. It doesn't have to be, you know, specifically the Black experience. Yes, there's going to be aspects of the Black experience in that because, you know, like, if there's a haunting in the house, we ain't staying. Like, we're (laughs) out. Like, (laughs) as someone who has been in that situation, I got out as soon as I could. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's just, we ain't fooling around, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, but, but yes, I, I love, I love all of those recommendations. We'll make sure that we put them in the show notes for people to give them like a little kickstart. But my very last question for you is what can we do to support Michelle? So I would ask people to visit my website,
1: uh, mpmelon.com dot com. That is where I post updates, uh, has links to my Twitter uh, as well. And you can always email me. My email is on there. I'm totally open about that. Um, I think that's the best sort of central location for everything, Michelle, that is going to be happening or is happening now or will be happening down
0: the road. Excellent. And what can we buy to put some money in your pocketbook? So I have two uh, short story collections on Amazon.
1: Um, Definitely, you know, recommend that you check those out. Uh, Those are both listed on the fiction page on my website. Um, The first one is Down by the Sea and Other Tales of Dark Destiny. The second one is Haunted Hamburg. Uh, Down by the Sea is a collection of 13 unrelated stories, but really tied together with this theme of um, the hand of fate and how it shapes people's lives. Uh, the Haunted Homburg collection is a series of connected stories. There are three friends who are, have reunited and are going on this um, sort of journey through these different experiences in Hamburg, Germany. And it's based on when I lived there, and um, some of the different places that I visited, that I just kind of wanted to share in this sort of haunted capacity.
0: Very cool. Um, is there any other way that we can support you financially? Or, I mean, obviously, word of mouth is huge. So people leaving reviews Absolutely. is great, sharing it on social media. But do you have like a Patreon? or? I do co-fi, not. Whatever they call it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm old. I, do I don't know how to say any of this stuff. Course.
1: I think I will reiterate because. Um, you know, writers say it and I don't think enough people realize how important it is for people to leave reviews. Um, you know, we tend to we tend to leave reviews when we don't like something or mad about something. When we enjoy something or something, you know, satisfies us, we're like, oh, okay, that was good. And then we move on. And we Like, it's really important for us as writers for people to say, yeah this touched me in this way, or I really appreciated this. I don't, you know, even if you say I liked this, but I did not like these five other things. That's right, feedback. Yeah. that's feedback. I will take that yes. in and
0: I will use it. Better than them. the echo chamber. <laughs> so
1: definitely appreciate um, feedback and reviews and, um, you know, ping me on Twitter. You have Ideas you want to talk about something you have questions. I'm always open to conversation, and um, you know, not only letting people have some insight into what I'm thinking, what I'm doing, but if there are writers out, other writers out there who have questions or want advice or whatever, I am more than willing to to help out with that.
0: Awesome, that is amazing, and with that, we will wrap up for today. So once again. Thank you, Michelle, author of Aunt Sadie's Surprise, for joining us today for this incredible interview. You've been a blast to talk to. Um, Again, thank you for your time. Folks, if you have not listened to Aunt Sadie's Surprise, you are failing at life. So please go back and do that (laughs) and then listen to this interview so that some of this stuff kind of makes sense um, to you. And with that, I will bid you good day, Michelle. Thank you. Thank you.